Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Our scripture reading this morning is again going to be Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 38. If you are using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find these verses beginning on page 880. We began looking at this discourse last Sunday, and as I said, my original plan was to try to cover the entire discourse in a single sermon. I wasn't trying uh, to necessarily avoid any uh, particular text, but was simply trying to get to Luke 24 by Easter. I I thought it would be good to arrive at Luke's account of the resurrection on that day after so many years in the gospel. However, as I studied the text last week, I quickly realized not only is there far more content in this text than I could possibly cover in a single sermon, but... But I also thought it was telling that I was even considering covering this discourse in a single sermon. This is a prophetic discourse. And here in our Presbyterian circles, we we don't spend a lot of time on prophecy. And as I I thought about that, I thought I would never consider covering one of Jesus' other discourses in a in a single sermon. I would never try to preach the Sermon on the Mount in one sermon. I would would never try to preach his parables of the kingdom in a a single sermon. And so I decided to forget my plan and just work my way through the text verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, as we always do, asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. And so last week we looked at the discourse and we asked, what is it that Jesus is talking about? And this week we're going to begin looking at what he actually has to say in more detail. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. This is the very word of God. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness." Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding at what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as, it come, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourself lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, And early in the morning, all the people came to him and in the temple to hear him. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father God, we come before you humbly this morning, asking that your same Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to record these words would now be with us, enabling us to to hear them and to understand them and to receive them and to live in accord with them, bringing forth their fruit to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage begins with people talking about the grandeur of the temple. They are admiring the massive stones that Herod has used to to build, and they are admiring the rich ornamentation with which he has decorated it. But when Jesus hears them talking, when he hears them standing in awe of the temple, he says to them something shocking. He says, as for these things that you see, as for this temple upon which you are gazing, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You can imagine the people's response Imagine if you heard someone say that the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty was to be torn down and destroyed. Or or maybe a better analogy would be, what if if you heard someone say that the the White House or the, the Capitol Building were going to be destroyed? That is the weight of what Jesus is saying. The temple was not only an iconic building, it was that, 
But it was more than that. The temple was of central importance for the Jews. It was, it was of central importance to them as a nation. It was, it was of central importance to them as a, as a culture. And it was of central importance to them as a religion. And therefore, it is understandable that, that when the people hear this, they are shocked and they want to know, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? When is this going to happen? And how will we know that it's about to take place. As we saw last Sunday, Jesus' answer to their question comes in two parts. First, he he tells them about the destruction of Jerusalem. He tells them about the the destruction of the, the temple, which is on the near horizon. But then, somewhere around verse 27, he he shifts and he begins speaking about his second coming. He ties the two days together because the former is a is a shadow of the latter. This morning our focus is going to be on the first part of his answer, and really the first part of the first part of his answer, because even the first part of his answer can be divided. It can be divided up into four parts. First, in verses 8 and 9, we have Jesus warning to his disciples. He, he warns them not to be led astray. Why? Because the end will not be at once. Then, in verses 10 and 11, he begins to reveal to them some of the signs that will precede the destruction of Jerusalem. There will be wars, and there will be natural disasters, and there will be signs from heaven. But notice what Jesus says in the third part. He, he says in the third part that these, while these things are going on, they themselves will be persecuted, and it will be their opportunity to bear witness to him. But even as he tells them of their coming persecution, he makes them a promise saying that he will be with them and that he will keep them throughout those days. And then only finally then does Jesus give them the sign, the sign that the destruction of Jerusalem is at hand. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its desolation has come near. This morning, we'll be looking at the first two of these pieces of of Jesus' answer as Jesus teaches his disciples about the impending destruction of Jerusalem. We want to hear Jesus' warning that the end will not be at once. And we want to hear his description of the signs that will precede the fall of Jerusalem. So we begin with his warning in verses 8 and 9. Look again at what Jesus says. He says, Do not be led astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and of tumults, do not be terrified. These things must take place first. The end will not be at once. It's an interesting response to the disciples' question. It's it's an interesting warning in the context. As we've said, Jesus has, has just prophesied the destruction of the temple. He, he has just told them that the, the stones of the temple are going to be scattered. And his disciples have asked him when that is going to happen and what are going to be the signs of, of that event. And in response to a question about the, the timing and the signs of the destruction of the temple, Jesus says, Do not be deceived, for many will come in my name. But the end will not be at once. It's it's an interesting response. The word end 
that Jesus uses in the last phrase of verse 9 is a, is a word that would have had eschatological overtones for first century Jews. It, it would have been like the last days for us. It would have been a word that, that clearly announced to them that Jesus was talking about the end of the age, about the end, about the last judgment. And so when, when Jesus hears his disciples ask a question about the destruction of the temple, He says to them, do not be led astray. The end, the end of the age, will not be at once. Think about what that means for a moment. It seems that that Jesus thinks his disciples think that they are asking him about the end of the age when they ask him about the destruction of the temple. When the the disciples ask Jesus when the, the temple stones will be scattered, they think that they are asking about the end of the age. And Jesus knows it because for them, the two events are inseparably bound together. They cannot imagine one without the other. In fact, this is even clearer in Matthew's account of this same discord. When Matthew records the disciples' question, he records it this way. He says that he has the disciples asking, what will be the signs of your coming and of the close of the age? It's the same question. The same question that the disciples are asking. They're they're asking about the destruction of the temple. When will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the close of the age? So Jesus is, is, is speaking to his disciples and he understands that his disciples are thinking of these two events as if they were going to happen together, as if they were inseparably bound together. And so the first thing that he says to them The first thing that he he answers them in reply to their question is he he warns them that the end will not be at once. There will be false messiahs. There will be wars and and tumults. But the end will not be at once. Let's think about that for a moment. First, there will be these false messiahs. There will be people who come saying, I am he or, or the time is near. I don't know about you, but I I find it perplexing to think that someone could have come in Jesus' name, claiming to be Jesus, and deceive the disciples who had spent three years with him. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Doesn't it seem odd that someone could show up, claim to be Jesus, and and lead people astray? It, It seems unlikely to me. And that's why I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples is it boils down to this. Basically, Jesus' warning is this. He says, listen, there will be people who come claiming to be me. And there were. We, we know from history that there were people who, who claimed to, to be the returning Son of God, who claimed to be the returning Messiah soon after Jesus' ascension. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, if you're not sure, it's not me. People will come claiming to be me. But if you're not sure, if you have doubts, then you can be sure it's not me. For you will know me when you will see me. There will not be any doubt. My return will not be ambiguous. In fact, he had said something like this on numerous other occasions. Jesus said, when I come, when that that day comes and I arrive, it will be like a lightning bolt flashing across the sky. You won't miss it. You won't be confused. You will not have doubts. It will be obvious. When the Son of Man comes, it will be as lightning flashing across the sky. Jesus is going to say this very thing in just a few verses. He's going to say, when I come, 
When you see the Son, of Man, the Son of Man coming, He will be coming in a cloud with great power and glory. He won't need an introduction. He won't need credentials. Everyone will know who He is. And this is important. It's important for us to, to see that this is the first thing Jesus tells his, his disciples. He says, people will come in my name, but don't be fooled. If you don't know, it's not me. If you are in doubt, it's not me. When I come, there will be no doubt. I don't think that false messiahs are a big problem in the church today, at least not in our particular Context. It's not often that someone shows up claiming to be Jesus and leads large numbers of, of people astray in our, our circles. However, there are many in our day, as there have been many throughout the history of the church, who say the time is at hand. There are, there are many who, who continue to say the time is at hand. There are, there are some who have made very precise predictions. They have, they have given exact dates, and there are others who have been more vague, more general, who just say, listen, we are living in the last day. We are the last generation. But, but one way or another, there have been many pastors and teachers who, who have claimed to know, who have said, now is the time. And therefore, I think it is important for us to, to know what Jesus is saying here. It's important for us to know that His coming will not be secret. It's important for us to know that when we see Him, we will know Him. Maybe those who are making predictions are right. Maybe not to this point. They've all been wrong. But eventually, someone's got to get it right. <laughs> eventually, someone's going to predict it when he, he comes. But why should that make any difference to us? Why, why should it make any difference to us if the predictors are Right. What Jesus is saying, listen, don't go after a cult leader. Don't let them change your Christian life because the time is near. Do not flock around a teacher who says the, the time is at hand. Because even if they're right, it doesn't change your calling. Even if they're right, it doesn't change what you're supposed to be doing today as a follower of Christ. Our calling, as we will see a little bit later in this text, our calling is to be busy doing what God has given us to do until that day when the lightning lights up the sky. If He's coming tomorrow, if He's coming in a hundred years, our calling remains the same and so we don't need to, to know the precise date. All we need to know is that when He comes, there's no possibility that we will miss it. But notice the second thing that Jesus says. Not only will there be these false messiahs, but there will also be wars and, and tumults. Jesus says, you will hear of wars and tumults. Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. So what are these wars and tumults that Jesus is talking about? It's possible that it is a, a reference to the wars that Jesus is about to describe, the, particularly the, the war that he's going to describe in verses 20 through 24, the, the war that will lead to the destruction of Jerusalem. If so, what Jesus is saying is that, is listen, when you hear about the destruction of Jerusalem, when you, when you hear that the armies have descended upon the holy city and they have destroyed the temple, do not be terrified. It does not mean that the end has dawned. These things must take place first. 
This is what Jesus intends, and he is telling his disciples clearly that there will be a distinction between the, the day that Jerusalem is destroyed and the day that he will return in glory. He is telling that these are not a single event, but, but two events. This is not one day, but two distinct days. However, it's possible that Jesus is, is talking about wars and, and tumults more, more generally, just telling the people, listen, there are going to be wars. There's, there are going to be uprisings. Every time you hear on the news that, that one nation has invaded another nation, don't think that the end has come. These things must take place. But in either case, I, I think the, the first is, is, is more likely. I, I think it's more likely that Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking about the war that, that he is about to be describing. But in either case, Jesus' point is the same. What is he saying? He's, he's emphasizing this point that, listen, the end will not be at once. There will be wars. There will be uprisings. Jerusalem will be destroyed. But the end will not be at once. And that's important. It's important for us to hear Jesus say that. It's important first because it, it reinforces our confidence in, in Jesus. If you took a, a class in college, or if you're a high school student who's maybe going to take a class in college, it is, it is likely that you will hear professors seeking to discredit Jesus, claiming that, that he thought he was going to return very soon, and he was wrong. He, he thought he was going to come back. And there is actually a phrase at the end of this discourse that we're going to have to deal with. Jesus says, this generation will not pass away. We're going to have to understand what he, he means by that. Stick around. We'll be, get to that in a few weeks. <laughs> but for now, notice Jesus is saying it clearly. He's saying, listen, the end will not come as, at once. Jesus understood. And in fact, in other places, he said it would be a long time before he returned. That he was going on a long journey and that he would be gone for a long time. And so there is no credible way of discrediting Jesus by saying that he thought he was going to return quickly and got it wrong. No, Jesus knew the truth. There may have been Jews in, in the first century who thought he was going to return. There may have been disciples who misunderstood him. But Jesus knew and taught the truth. And so this, this reinforces our, our confidence in him. But there's more going on than, than just Jesus displaying his prophetic powers. The second thing, and really the main thing, that, that Jesus wants to show us here by, by telling us that the end will not be as once, is he is telling us not to be terrified by the wars and the tumults. That's what he told his disciples. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified when you hear of wars. Do not be terrified when you see the destruction of, of Jerusalem. God's plans has not gone off the rails. This event is not beyond the scope of God's sovereignty. You see, for the disciples, once they realized that the destruction of Jerusalem was happening independently of, of Jesus' return, it would have been easy to, to think of the destruction of Jerusalem as, as a catastrophe, as, as something beyond the scope of God's plan, as something that maybe put God's plan at risk. And Jesus is saying to them, no, do not be Terrified, God's purposes have not been thwarted. These things must take place first. But the end will come exactly on God's schedule. The end will come exactly as God has planned. And I want you to know that you can have the same confidence today. Jesus was, was talking about the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem 
But we still await the the day that that day foreshadowed. We still await the day of His coming to judge the living and the dead. The day on which God's wrath will be revealed. And as we wait, we experience wars and tumults. We experience the the ravages of life in this fallen world. It's what the, the whole next section is going to be about. But Jesus says, do not be terrified. These things must take place. God's plans has not gone off the rails. He is still working things according to the counsel of His mysterious wisdom. And He will bring things to completion according to His good purposes. As I said, this is what He expands on in verses 10 and 11. Look again at those verses. Jesus says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So first he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In other words, the the fall of Jerusalem would be preceded by some sort of international conflict. And of course, that's exactly What happened? If you pull your history books off the shelves, you will find out that that most historians will tell you that the destruction of of, uh, Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was precipitated by Israel's own rebellion against Rome's rule in 66 A.D. Israel decided they had enough of Roman rule. They decided that they were going to reestablish their independence and Rome made sure they knew that they were not. It was that international conflict, that nation rising against nation that led to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And so we see that what Jesus says is, is true. But if we're honest, we're going to have to admit that this is far from a precise sign. On the contrary, such conflicts, such nation against nation conflicts, they have been common throughout human history. It seems like they're always going on. Can you remember a time in your own life when one nation wasn't rising up against some other nation, when some kingdom wasn't at war with some other kingdom? It has always been so. And it would have been impossible for anyone to use this sign to predict the date of of Jerusalem's fall. It would have been been foolish to even try. And the other signs are the same. Notice the second sign that Jesus mentions. It's, It's similarly vague. Jesus says there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilences. In other words, the the fall of Jerusalem is going to be preceded by a host of of natural disasters. And again, the writings of first century historians tell us that this is true. It tells us that there were many such disasters prior to A.D. 70. But again, it's far from a precise sign. No one could have used this sign to to figure out the date or even the year of, of Jerusalem's impending fall. Yes, there were natural disasters, but but when has there ever been a period of history devoid of such disasters? When have, have such disasters ever been uncommon? They have been commonplace in history since Adam's rebellion in the garden. Finally, Jesus mentions terrors and great signs from heaven. And this is, of course, the most obscure of the, of the things that Jesus mentions because we're not even sure what he's talking about. We're not even sure what these terrors and, and signs from heaven means. The word terrors that that Jesus uses here is a word that that outside the New Testament typically means something like a a terrible sight or a horrific sight. And Jesus is saying that there there will be terrible sights, there will be horrific sights prior to the fall of Jerusalem. As I thought about that word this week, 
I could not help but thinking about the, the sight of the people at the school in Florida. It, it was a horrific sight. It was a, a terrible sight. And it's a, a sight that we've seen repeated in our own nation too many times. Certainly such a scene is a true terror. But unfortunately, like international conflicts and like natural disasters, such terrors have been common throughout human history. And so again, it's, it's not a very precise sign. It won't actually help anyone predict the time of, of Jerusalem's fall. And while we don't know what he means when he speaks of great signs from heaven, people have guessed, some have, have thought it meant you know, certain eclipses or certain meteor showers or a comet here, or, or, or it could mean any number of things. We're not sure what Jesus is is talking about, but, but given the nature of the other signs, I, I think we're safe to say that whatever Jesus meant, it's unlikely that he was talking about some unique event that would have allowed us to pinpoint the exact time of, of Jerusalem's fall. Rather, Jesus is, is describing the, the tumults of life in a fallen world, life in an age under the curse. And so what are we to make of Jesus' teaching at this point? I know some object that his prophecy is something like a fortune cookie. It's, it's something like the horoscope in the, in the paper. It's so vague, it's so general as to be useless. Really, Jesus? Wars? Natural disasters? Terrors? These, these are your signs, people want to ask? I understand the complaint. But I want to say to you this morning that that's exactly the point. It seems that, that Jesus is intentionally giving his disciples what one commentator calls non-signs. There is simply no way anyone could use the signs Jesus mentions to pinpoint the date of Jerusalem's destruction. They, they can't even really use it to narrow the window. Until they actually see the army around Jerusalem, they won't know. And that's what Jesus says. When you see the armies around Jerusalem, then you'll know that its desolation has come near. But everything that he mentions is, is going on all the time. Everything that he mentions is commonplace. And that's the point. Jesus is saying that life in this fallen world will continue until that day. His disciples aren't supposed to try and figure it out. Jesus isn't giving them a, a mystery to solve. This is not the national treasure treasure hunt. That's not what's going on here but rather He is preparing them not to be terrified by the terrors that are sure to come. There will be wars. There will be natural disasters. There will be terrors such as we experience in this country even this week. And Jesus says, do not fear. Do not think that God's plan has gone off the rails, but rather entrust yourself to the Lord and devote yourself to the mission that He has called you now obviously, these words were spoken to Jesus' first century disciples. They were speaking to those who were still awaiting the destruction of, of Jerusalem. But, but as we've seen, they are instructive to us today as we await that day of which the destruction of Jerusalem was but a shadow. Today, we wait for Jesus coming again. His coming again to judge the, the living and the dead. And we wait in a time when there are wars and there are disasters, and there are terrors. 
As Jesus' disciples in the first century, we must not be afraid. We must not think that God's plan has gone off the rails, but we must devote ourselves to doing what He has given us to do. Notice, that's the next part of Jesus' answer. We'll we'll spend more time looking at it next Sunday, but but notice Jesus says to them, listen, there's going to be all these things going on, and it's going to be your opportunity. Your opportunity to do that which I've given you to do. Your opportunity to bear witness. Do not be terrified by what you see going on around you. Do not be terrified by the fact that that life in this age continues to be nasty, brutish, and short. Do not be terrified, but trust me and do what I've given you to do. Know that those such things will continue until that day, but remain unafraid because I will be with you and I will enable you to do all that I have given you to do. These are the lessons that we must learn. When Jesus comes again, there's no chance we're going to to miss it. There's no chance that that He will come in secret. It'll be like lightning flashing across the sky. And so until that day, when He actually gets here, let us be busy doing what He has given us to do. Someone once asked Luther what he would do if he knew that Jesus was coming back Tomorrow, And if the story is true, Luther said to this disciple, said to this student, I think I would plant a tree. It's an odd answer. What's the point after all? Why why plant a tree that's not going to have an opportunity to grow and and bear fruit? But, But what Luther was saying is simply this. He says, listen, my calling is my calling. As one created in the image of God, my calling is to take dominion of creation. My my calling is to to be a steward of that which God has entrusted to me to the glory of His name. And planting a tree is a microcosm of that. Planting a tree is a a microcosm of of showing man's dominion, of cultivating the earth, of, of bringing forth its potential to bring glory to its king. And so Luther says, listen, if he's coming back tomorrow, I'll plant a tree today. Knowing that He's coming doesn't change what He's called me to do today. I wonder if we can say the same thing. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to devote each day to the service of our King. And if He's coming tomorrow, then let us devote ourselves to that work today. Because listen, whether or not Jesus is coming this generation or not, You only have one lifetime until you see Him. I don't know if He will come again before you die, but you're only going to live for one lifetime. And within a lifetime, you are going to stand before your Maker. You're going to stand before your King. So what difference does it make if He comes now or if He comes in a thousand years? You are His servant. Let us serve Him faithfully. Let's do the work that He has given us to do, knowing that when He comes, those who have put their trust in Him, those who have honored Him as King, for them that day will not be a day of terror, but for them that day will be a day of redemption. And those who have served Him faithfully will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And because that is the promise that stands before all those who believe in Him, whether He comes tomorrow or whether He comes in a thousand years. That's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together.
Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. And we thank You for Your grace. And we ask now, Father, that You would give us ears to hear Your Gospel. That You would give us eyes to see Your truth. And that You would give us hearts to believe it and a will to walk in Your ways. Father, this is what we ask for. Pleading the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for His name's sake, Amen.